We need reflection and reconciliation. Boom. Welcome to Paradoxically Speaking, Brandon. Me? Oh, well, thank you. I, I'm happy <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so, how to be free, part two. We decided we got to connect again. Our, our last conversation, which was last week, about a week ago, was um, a bit of an argument meandering around this idea from stoicism of maybe you'd put it in the category of like training your desires and aversions or, or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, I don't know to, to kick it off, like where, you know, where do you think like the point of disagreement was like, how are you thinking today? What's up? So, yeah, so m- mommy and daddy were fighting uh, last week, <laughs> and I, I don't know who's mommy and who's daddy. You know what? I'll take mommy. I'll be mommy. It's, it's complicated. It's it's complicated. Uh, it's a paradox. We are both mom and dad, each individually and together. Uh, I, I think where the contention was is you felt in some ways that the, the whole bodily – or sorry, the desires and aversion topic – that quote by Epictetus, which we should probably read. Uh, I don't know if I have the right one up here. Uh, I, I think I do. I think this was the one. Don't seek to have events happen as you wish, but wish them to happen as they do happen, and all will be well with you. So I think the contention was that is is a standalone idea in some ways, but I, I didn't think that it was complete in the terms of representing the actual Stoic philosophy. And and I know you and I just chatted before we hit record, but I think that's where the contention was, is I was going off and trying to explain the other side of that that's not mentioned in that quote, but is vitally important to the ideas in that quote. And and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think you you saw that more as like an, a standalone, this is advice, period, and we can just take this as advice. And so, I don't know, is that where you thought the contention was at all? No, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but I see it connecting as also, I mean, there are many of these things like in the Enchiridion, what is sometimes referred to as like how to be free. You know, Epictetus says like freedom is secured not by fulfilling your desires, but by removing them. Now, whatever you would want to call it, like he's using the word freedom but call it what whatever you want. It, it's essentially about like the removing the desire, which also like connects to the opening passage in the most known, maybe dichotomy of control. Some things are up to us. Some things are not. Those things that are not up to us, we often have a desire to change them or for them to be up to us type of thing. Um, yeah, so we were talking a little bit, you know, about, about that. And I guess I remember, I don't remember the specifics, but we got into some examples of maybe things that we run into in daily life of that are maybe outside of our control, but there's this inner pull for us to still change them or influence them or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. You know, since we've chatted and I've, I've been running this in the background as I go about my daily life, I was thinking that I don't think the whole time we chatted last time, we brought up preferred indifference. And I think that maybe this <clears throat> is a good way to understand or at least come to the crux of our disagreement on this. Because, you know, we talked last time about how you're going to have to negotiate or, or maybe not at all doing the dishes with your roommate. He want, he or she wants to clean them every time and you just want to let the dishes build up and clean them all at the same time. And so you can see that as each individual has a preferred indifferent. 
and they're in conflict with one another. And I think there's, there's two ways out of the whole preferred and different thing, which is interesting. You can remove the preferred. This is interesting. So everything you would prefer to have, but doesn't ultimately make you happy. You can remove the desire for that. And according to the Stoics, just go off and flourish. But for some reason, the Stoics felt it imperative to put in the whole preferred thing, meaning there's things that we would rather have than not have. Ultimately, we could just accept the whole situation, the hand that we're dealt and move on with our lives and be happy. And I, and I think, I think you and I both agree with that and that standalone advice. And so, but I do think that the preferred thing is really important as well because if you remove the preferred indifferent from the term preferred indifferent, so you just have indifferent, sure, you can be happy, but you're not making anything better. And it's an interesting question on why, why do you need to if you're already flourishing, right? So I don't like, what do you, what do you think of that? Do you think that term preferred indifferent is maybe some kind of analogy or even a direct, that's what it is we're talking about here? Um, I think it connects with it, you know, and it depends. There's some different opinions, uh, around what might be meant by that preferred and indifferent of it, the preferred meaning it leading to virtue, like uh, money, for example, if you're doing like a virtuous act with it, now it could be in the thing of a a preferred. um, And I've seen it kind of the other way of preferred being, you know, something pleasant or something that you'd rather, um, but I think it, um, yeah, it, it connects and it's definitely re- related to it. But it is a different thing of, um, you know, like we've talked about paradoxes. And paradoxes, there's, you know, if you look it up, there's these different types of paradoxes or different meanings. And we've talked about how it's like the paradox of solitude, maybe, and the opposite you know, basically like for the listeners, like, you know, the idea that learning to be alone is an important and wise skill to cultivate and might lead to, you know, greater connection. But then there's this opposite thing that, you know, friendship and connection is also a wise thing to do. You know, the opposite is also true. With some of these things, you know, you read a particular thing and there's this paradox of counterintuitive, like it doesn't just make sense to us. You think of uh, Socrates, you know, true wisdom comes from realizing that, you know, we don't know a lot about ourselves, others in the world. You know, it, it just is counterintuitive. It's not like there's an opposite to that that is um, that he's pointing to also being true. It's just this counterintuitive thing. And I think this quote or the one quote is freedom is secured not by fulfilling your desire, which is what it feels like. It feels like if I get X or if this happens, then I will be free or at peace or happy or whatever it may be. And he is saying, you know, the opposite, this very counterintuitive thing, which makes it, you know, paradoxical in a way, just doesn't quite compute unless we can come to experience it. Um, you know, so I think it is a, a different thing in a way it is, um, you know, the project to me, I, and I, I mean, when I read the Enchiridion, like I am all in, like there really isn't, you know, some of these things, I mean, it is like, I'm like Epictetus, I am drinking the Kool-Aid, I am dead on, like in my experience, it feels like absolute wisdom. And, and the Buddha, which Buddhism I'm not necessarily as familiar with, but I am like interested in and have read a lot of Buddhist teaching, points to a similar thing. It's, you know, life is a bit of a rough road and it's rough because we're, we're clinging, you know, we're attached, we're grasping at these things, this dichotomy of control. We're on the other side. We're trying to control things that are outside of our control. So the preferred indifferent and indifferent thing 
connected in a way, but still just feels like something else to me. Mm-hmm. I can't see it as, as I know what you're saying. It's somewhat of a different idea, but I, I, I think it's fundamentally the same idea in that, again, let's get back to the quote. Don't seek to have, I'm the guy that's like rereading the quote every five minutes now. <laughs> Don't seek to have events happen as you wish, but wish them to happen as they do happen and all will be well with you. I'm definitely more sympathetic to the fact that you could take that as standalone advice and be free. My issue, and this is where I suppose I had trouble with understanding or articulating last time. My issue is that you can't take that as standalone advice and call it stoicism. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. You got to elaborate that. Yeah. 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 Sorry. The reason is because there's a, there's a social and moral obligation in stoicism and it's really covered under justice to make things better. To, to engage socially, to be engaged in politics. And politics doesn't necessarily mean debating with Justin Trudeau, which is a losing battle because he's a – anyways. <laughs> but, it, um, but it means getting involved in, your, in, in the world, getting involved in the community. So it's interesting because you talk about things like curbing your desires and, and all these indifference. It's like, yes, that, that is true. You don't, you don't need to go after anything necessarily to flourish – but underlying that is this social and moral obligation to move things forward. I, I guess I'll pose this question to you, and, and I'm, more, I'm more than happy to be wrong about this, but do you think that that quote from Epictetus, and it's not doing it justice because this is taken out of context and it's one sentence, but if you take that and you live by that, is it – are you a stoic? Like, is that stoicism or is, is there just, there's more, there's more to that. That's not a complete picture of what stoicism actually is. Well, of course. I mean, there can't be one sentence that encompasses all of any wisdom tradition. Right. I mean, can there be like, I, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, cause sure. like any, or any philosophy of life, it's like, cause there's, there's a lot to it. I mean, with any sort of philosophy of life, there's, all of these, how do you see the world? They all have some sort of like principles and ethics and then practices. There's just a lot to any sort of philosophy of life, especially like this one that's survived 2000 years. I don't, obviously I don't like disagree with what you're, what you're saying. Of course there is a um, pro-social component to all, you know, to what you're doing. There's such a thing as cardinal virtues and, you know, they are seen in, in action. You know, it's like Marcus Aurelius, you know, my favorite quote, which I consider something that I try to, to live by the fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good. I don't know how I, I'm not seeing how that contradicts or, really has anything to do with this idea of training your desires and aversions and knowing, discerning what is up to you, what is not up to you. Um, that to me is all part of like the good character, like the acts for the common good, all of that type of stuff. It's a needed um, component. And I think it's a huge one. It's like the opening passage, what's up to us, what's not up to us. We have an insatiable, in, in my view, if I'm taking Epictetus to be really serious and someone that is sharing a lot of wisdom in this opening passage of the Enchiridion, he is basically stating that we are controlling. We have this strong desire to control many things that are beyond our control. We have a difficulty seeing and discerning wisely what is up to us and what is not up to us. So I, I don't, yeah, it's like, 
maybe you could say more in terms of how you're seeing or, you know, what issue is coming up uh, around that? Or if I'm, you know, you're feeling like maybe I'm suggesting something else. No, no. I'm, <clears throat> I'm having trouble detaching the ideas. And, and maybe that's a me problem. But again, it gets to the preferred and different. And, and okay, maybe I'll try a different route because I don't, I'm not sure we have agreement on that this is preferred and different. But but, but see, I think it directly does. I mean, we talked a little bit before that in some ways this is – we're talking about events. I mean, he actually says events. I'm just – I have the quote in front of me. Yeah. Uh, so don't seek to have events happen as you wish. And, th- and this is sort of like the amor fati thing. It's like, you know, in, in some sense, love whatever comes to you, not what you wish to happen. And the whole preferred and different thing, you can certainly think about that in terms of events. It's like you're, you're training for a marathon, What's the preferred result? Well, the preferred result is that I win the damn marathon. Is it indifferent? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is indifferent to your, let's say, your, your flourishing. It's, it's, it's about the process in and of itself. So I don't – do we have, some? I guess, a little bit more agreement that the, the preferred indifferent thing, I mean, that does apply in some sense to events. I mean, obviously – it, 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 you know, your, your, your daughter getting killed or something like that. That's not something that you would want to happen. Stoics would say, but you can still flourish after that if you grieve properly, but you certainly wouldn't deem it as something that you would wish to happen. Right. No, I mean, of course not. But again, these things, whether like <laughs> my opinion, my, my desires, my preferences, Okay. Like, does that really have anything to do with what actually happens? You know, I mean, it's like these things are outside of our control, essentially, like how the world unfolds largely. Largely it is, not completely, but yeah, largely. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like this differentiate, like, and again, it's like, what, what, what is the point of that example though? You know what I mean? Because I think like, well, of course, I don't want that to happen, but, you know, it's uh, not necessarily up to me. The, 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 po- the point of that example was just to <clears throat> connect the idea of preferred a different to this quote. Yeah. That, that's, that's all I was trying to do there. Yeah. But, and it's like my preference on a lot of things, you know, unless it's something like wholly under my control. And my preference is, is essentially a desire. It's a want. This is what I want. I want my, you know, significant other to do the dishes in this manner. You know, I want to win this marathon. That's essentially a desire. Like if we stuck with the marathon example. Mm-hmm. Now say that's your desire. Now you do this, you go through it, you finish the marathon. You're done with it. Now you read that Epictetus quote. Because it's essentially, it's a past tense thing. Like it's a present moment thing. So the marathon has already happened. You didn't win. You took 10th. Fill in the blank with that Epictetus quote. Like, does it make sense to you? Of course. Yeah. And, And I think we had agreement on that last time. But I mean, that's the thing though. Like that particular quote it is essentially present moment so anything that has happened is in the past it's now outside of our control so even if we wanted it to unfold in whatever way it didn't it's already happened i i would say it's not just about the past but also how we how we seek to have events as we wish in the future. So I think there's, there's a foresight as well. I, I, I agree that there's the past element too. And, and I do agree that it's, it's a matter of, of that present moment of, okay, I'm going to read this quote because something terrible just happened and I'm going to be, this is going to, you know, leave me to some degree. But, um, do you, well, let me ask you this. Do you think the marathon example, you're preparing for this marathon. 
and you know better. You don't listen to your coach. You have free time and you just waste it. And all basically you, you put all the cards against you leading up to that marathon. Do you think you can really look yourself in the mirror and say that quote and be free from, I guess, from the, the pain of loss? Not, uh, I shouldn't say it like that. The pain of losing. <laughs> you, you didn't lose a loved one or anything. The pain of losing the marathon. Could you read the quote one more time to me? Let me, yeah, let me yeah, yeah, sure. It down. Sure, yeah. I just, I keep switching and uh, I can't see you. So I, <clears throat> I feel, oh, I feel, like, I feel weird. All right, let me get it on my other screen. Don't seek to have events happen as you wish, but wish them to happen as they do happen and all will be well with you. Now, any you think of any sort of task where you essentially didn't prepare in a manner that you know you think is uh needed or that you could have. I mean, is that what you're saying? If we could apply yeah. it to like anything, you know, just lack of like preparation. Yeah. <clears throat> and you and you knew better. I'm not talking about someone who doesn't have the, you know, the wisdom or whatever to to know. I'm talking about you no, know, you do know better. You're being negligent. You're yeah. you're being the Stoics would say vicious, not in a you know, rabid animal kind of way, but in in an yeah. yeah. opposite of <laughs> opposite of virtue kind of way. Um <clears throat> in like in short, yes. I I I do. That's our that's where we disagree then. That's yeah. our dis, that's the crux and, of our disagreement. And now and here's the thing of why I think it's essential that you know to a certain extent you're doing that because it's like it comes right back to this central thing like what's up to us what's not up to us the things that are in the past are they're not up to us wishing them to you know happen in a certain way different from how it did happen is in my view like that is I mean, there, there's like a, we're, we're like grasping for control. Like we're wanting something to be different. We're wanting to, you know, wish that we could go back in time and make some sort of change and do things different. And we just simply can't. So it's like a harsh thing. Is it easy to do? And, and we were kind of last conversation we were talking about in terms of difficult, like all of this stuff is like doing anything in a way is difficult. So, but I mean, there's some things that in, in my mind are not only difficult, they're difficult to even understand and accept Yeah, because it's like our mind, our ego or whatever it is, or some sort of stuff going on inside of us wants it to be, you know, different in a way. Yeah. This, yeah, this is the crux. This, this is why we had such conflict last time because, you know, you kept talking about how – you kept talking about what this quote is actually saying. And what I was trying to say was like, no, you don't get access to that alleviation of, of, of current present suffering unless you've done things before that that allow you access to that. It's like it's not unlocked for you. And and the reason I think and that and so that's why I was talking about how you got to maximize your agency and you got to take responsibility because I don't think that you get access to that quote unless you've 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 basically lived a life of virtue up until that. And let me let me explain the position here. So the stoics say flourishing comes from virtue. That's one of those things that, okay, virtue, be a good person, right? Do the right thing. Yeah, okay. But it's do the right thing. It's action. You don't get access to virtue or sorry, you don't get access to flourishing unless you act virtuously. So the whole perspective thing is is an element included in that. But if you're not aligned with virtue – you don't get access to that 
that quote. You don't get access to, okay, well, I just murdered my wife, but guess what? That's just how they happen. So now I get to be happy. And that's, that's my worry is that you can use this. If you take that quote as a standalone quote and let's say call that stoicism. And I know that's not what you're doing, but this, this is my worry is that you take that and you take that as a standalone quote and you say, well, I can basically do whatever the hell I want then because all I have to do is read that quote and the present I'm living in peace. I'm living in a, in harmony. And I, I just, I don't think that's true. I think it has to be preceded by action. Yeah. Um, now, setting aside the, you just murdered, you know, your spouse or something like that, like <laughs> to keep it in terms of like practical things. The virtuous thing. So if we read Seneca, like Seneca, someone huge fan, huge Seneca fan. He is just uh, someone I think really shares a lot of wisdom and like misses the mark all of the time. I was going to ask you fan of the writing or fan of his Bo- life. Bo- both. both. Okay. Yeah. But I think he's being honest in terms of, um, you know, writing to his friend that he, that he's, you know, missing the mark every day. So like this idea of, um, you know, the life of where you're living virtue and you're doing all of these things and it's, you've really just done a great job. Like, where does that exist? Like, who is that person? It sounds like you're talking about some sort of sage where human beings, it's much, much messier than that. And also like what can happen here in my experience personally and, you know, observing others, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to do this train, do all of this thing, like actually finish the marathon. And then at the end of it, there's this thing of where you're Beating you, I mean, you just did something that you've never done that is legitimately hard. You know, like, could you have trained more? Yes. The answer is always going to be yes. It always could have been more. And like a lot of times we have an unrealistic view of what we're capable of as human beings. You know, like Seneca is pointing, it's like, hey, Tolstoy, you know, many of these other people where it's like, hey, it, it, you know, virtue and vice, you know, if, if we think that we can remove all vice, we're maybe not being as realistic of what it means to be a human being as we are. And it's the same thing we can do with, uh, you know, looking back at some sort of thing like the marathon could have done more this and that, like whatever it may be. Now you plug in the Epictetus idea that, hey, you know, don't necessarily seek, you know, these events to to happen the way you want. And it's like the way we wanted was like first or some sort of whatever it may be. Um, you know, it, it's already it's already happened. Now it's time to like focus on this present moment and you know, our attention to even have a chance at virtue and and living this life, our focus and attention, man, it really has to be, we have to have a short memory, I think. And that's what I think that many of these people are talking about, of having a short memory, this idea of focusing on the present moment, being in the present again and again and again. And we can do the same exact thing with the future. Like we can look to the future and essentially back to this particular quote of like, seek the future to unfold the way it does. And we can, you know, visualize it and people do some manifest thing or or some sort of vision boards and some sort of like writing down these super um, specific goals and things like that. I'm not saying I'm necessarily like against goals and all of that. Like we did a couple conversations on that where it was like, man, the the heart, the meat of your focus needs to be on that process, that daily, like, 
you know, did you do? Um, but it's a million times harder. I'm, I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy or that I do it or anything like that, but that is how I read this. That's how I like interpret a little bit of what Epictetus is talking about. Yeah. And I, I, I love this. I mean, this, this really, I think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of this stuff. What I would say is that what you said initially in terms of it's not realistic, that that's a common criticism of stoicism is that the sage is not realistic. The ideal is not realistic. And you talk about things like, okay, well, we're all going to miss the mark. We're all going to make mistakes. Yes, absolutely. But that proves my point because you could also say which human being is always flourishing, which human being is always in that state of harmony. None of us. Why? Because we're all missing the mark on virtue. So, so I think that's an important element. I, I just want to say that that's, it's not a contradiction to the point I was making, but it's actually a compliment. And then the other thing that I, I just have to say, cause it's, it's just so interesting. I've been thinking so much about this on the whole making mistakes thing. Yeah, that's, that's all true, right? We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to miss the mark. But at the end of the day, that whole idea assumes that you're aiming up. And that's not always the case. Some people are aiming down. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of being negligent, in terms of, yeah, okay, I got this goal, but I'm not really going for it. And so I, I get your point, but I think it's it's worth saying that the whole marathon running thing, it's like, yeah, you can you can go and fail at the marathon and be aiming up and you could just not even make it past the first mile. Or you could be purposefully aiming down for whatever reason. Maybe it's you're letting your emotions get the better of you and also fail. And then so the, the whole mistake saying, yes, it's important, but it's only important in the context of you're aiming up, which is not always the case. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I I was just uh, yeah. Josh was watching me, and I was like staring at my notebook with my mouth open. But no, that's that, that's it. <laughs> so, are you suggesting like a rewrite of uh, you know Epictetus's uh, like a footnote to that particular quote? I mean, I'm open. My ears are open. If you'd like to do a footnote or do an addition or change it up, like what do you suggest? That this is actually what Stoic the Stoics say, though the, the Stoics say you can't even love unless you are sage. Yeah, and I, I man, I tell you, when Kai Whiting told me that, I did not like that when I first heard that, and I fought that idea. But it's true, you cannot completely love, you cannot completely flourish unless you are sage. Are we ever going to be sages? No, of course not. But we're also never going to be happy all the time. Like this is something that we all accept, right? Well, nothing's perfect. Life isn't perfect. You're not always going to flourish. The Stoics say, actually, it would if you were a sage. We're never going to be sages, <laughs> of, of course. But whether that's yeah. true or not, I don't know. We'll never know, right? Because yeah. I personally don't think sages exist. But Yeah. But the thing of, like you asked me the question of, you know, you use the marathon example. You didn't prepare, you know, whatever sort of thing. Like, can you follow what Epictetus is talking about? Like, I say yes. You say no. It, I mean, it sounded like. You know, so what do you suggest? Like, what is the wisest response at the end of an event like this marathon where you subjectively did not prepare you know, as best as you could, because it's not really knowable and it's kind of complicated and it's all of this. So, you know, I'm, I'm open ears. What do you suggest? Well, I think it gets back to the, the goal setting topic that we talked about. You, you look at where you've missed the mark, not only missed the mark, but where you aimed down, you probably have to correct a lot if you're aiming down, but we all, I think maybe we're all somewhere on the, <clears throat> on that spectrum of aiming up and aiming down. And then you move forward with that information feeding into your process. And the funny thing about that is, is that in order to do that, you kind of got to desire something 
you have you have to have a preferred and different, and you have to accept that ultimately, even if I fail the next marathon, you still have to you have to be aim, you have to aim at something. Stoics ultimately aim at good character, but you have to aim at something that's tangible, that's in this world as a catalyst, as a mechanism to learn that higher level goal of character development. And so this is some contention that I have. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think I think you have to have goals. Like you have to be aiming at something in the world in order to be stoic because you you can't learn these things without that. You can't develop – how do you develop good character? Through action, through failing, through moving forward. But you can't move forward unless you're moving forward towards something because what the hell does forward mean? Mm. And and I don't see that particular Epictetus quote or anything that is necessarily against goals. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that's what that's what that's where we argued last time. Is that I was saying, no, no, you, you, you have to have you have to you actually have to do desire something. You have to want something. You just have to accept at the end of the day when the outcome comes that it's not, you know, gonna give you flourishing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's where I I think it gets um complicated and it's difficult to understand. Like when there's a yeah, but there's always like a yeah, and especially in daily life when we're the subject, because it's even easier to sit here and like from a detached perspective and talk about it. But when we're actually the the subject navigating our way through life, it is very difficult to to live by this thing of oh, that's not up to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like changing the past is not within my repertoire of of skills and, and ability, you know, um, and stuff like that. As harsh as it is and as difficult as it can can be. Um, yeah. And I mean, sometimes I don't think it's helpful to bring in like the extreme, you know, 0.01% darkness of the Hitler type of thing, because maybe that's like a separate separate thing but even the same thing of just like the concept of um you finish this marathon you didn't prepare and you essentially have a desire for the past to be different than how it was now it doesn't matter how strong that desire is there's no time travel there's no this and that like the only way is an acceptance of it and that acceptance might be reflection, journaling. You know, it's not that you're just not thinking about it. And it's like control, alt, delete. But the path is like what Epictetus is talking about. The path is training your desires and aversions. Because it doesn't matter how bad you desire. It, it, I mean, but even the thing is, it's like... um the marathon thing is done, but sometimes like these events can go on if it's like a relationship or whatever it may be work type of thing. So we're like following and we're doing actions to control, you know, basically to fulfill our desire. We have a desire that we want our roommate to use that basic example of like the dishes and it's um, we can continue it. You know, we 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 almost don't even recognize the fact of what Epictetus is saying. Oh, wait, freedom is not secured by fulfilling my desire, because even still, once I fulfill it, there will often be a new one that just pops up. So we're just on this. This merry-go-round of desires that just keep popping up and we're just we keep doing and we keep you know, trying to like essentially influence these things that are not up to us. And sometimes we do, you know, sometimes you have a conversation or you do this and that, like you can actually influence people. And there's such a thing as manipulation and there's such a thing, you know, and and some people, other people might just be flexible and they'll kind of, you know, give way to our, our desire, you know, on things and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, my point is like the, back to the like the title is like how to be free, like according to the Stoics. How do we do that? If that's what they're saying, you know, how do we actually do that? How do we be free 
or more, more free than we are right now, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's virtue. And included in that is this idea, but that's not a standalone idea. Maybe to get yeah. the point, maybe to get my point across, um, or at least the point I'm trying to make, if it, if, it, if it is a point, do you think you can utter this sentence to yourself? Let me read it again because it's useful. Don't seek to have events happen as you wish, but wish them to happen as they do happen and all will be well with you. Can you utter that to yourself over and over and over and over again and achieve a state of flourishing? No, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, that's what that's, years. that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the point I'm trying to make. Well, but that's, that is the, the practice. It's called like training our desires and aversions. So we're doing this. We're testing our, our impressions. We're working with our emotions. We're practicing being objective. You know, there's all of these things that are all part of this philosophy that give us a chance to be virtuous. You know, it's part of our character is training our desires and aversions, which is like serious, serious business. And that's like all of Buddhism too. And like many of these other, I mean, that is like wisdom. It's almost in the way of how do we grow up? You know, it's like, how do we become less like the five-year-old, you know, if if you will, maybe the five-year-old is like an extreme version of, you know, someone may be ruled by these desires and aversions, but we still are too. I mean, I feel it in me. Oh yeah. There's, for sure. I have, I have wants and I have, you know, things that I don't want to happen and, and all of this stuff. And there is this, you know, even just the dichotomy of control is the same thing. It's just phrased in a question of like, what's up to you? What's not up to you? And, you know, there's many of these other, you know, it's all part of this and, and much of it, is the training our desires and, and aversions. Like, for example, Marcus Aurelius, he's all talking about character, but he's identifying and reminding himself that, oh, these things, they can't actually influence my character or they don't have to influence my my character. And he's coming, trying to come to the thing of, of the wise response of, of virtue but it's really difficult because our emotions are powerful, you know, like the elephant and the mm-hmm. rider and the emotions are this big elephant. And, you know, that's essentially a desire, something I want. And it's a powerful thing to, you know, loosen our, our, our grip on. And Buddhists would say like clinging, grasping, attachment, all of this. And then, other spiritual traditions have words like acceptance, surrender, letting go, cooperation, living in accordance with nature, which is like broad and there's different things, you know, people talk about different interpretations of that, but you know, the Taoists of living in, in flow with life and stuff like that, there's lots of stuff of people pointing to, you know, how do we essentially live and flow with life, how it actually unfolds, not how we want things to unfold. Mm-hmm. I, I got to read Jonathan Haidt's book again, Elephant and it's not called Elephant and the Rider. What is it? The Righteous Mind. But that, man, I got, that's on my reread list. Um, nice. But that, that was kind, that was really the point I was trying to make is that, so you, you admitted that you can't just read this to yourself all of the time and that gives you the state of flourishing. No. And, 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 and that's, that's sort of my point is like, there has to be, things leading up to this that unlock some of these deeper states of flourishing for you. And at the end of the day, if you're a stoic and you believe the virtue is the only good and you believe that the only way to flourishing is by being virtuous and you admit that nobody is perfect and so we're all going to not be virtuous from time to time, you also accept that you're not going to be in that state of flourishing all of the time. And so it doesn't matter. Let's call it Let's say you're near perfect and you got your 90% virtuous. It's still going to be 10% of the time where you're just going to have to not flourish. You, like you have to accept that's part of that stoic doctrine. And so during that 10%, you can tell yourself this all the time. Don't seek to have enough events as, uh, sorry, don't seek to have events happen as you wish. You can tell that to yourself over and over and over again. But 
the Stoics would say, well, no, you still didn't act. This is a matter of, yeah, sure, you can change your perspective, but you still haven't acted. And maybe just a great way to explain this uh, that I, I was thinking about pers- yesterday. I, man, I was so pissed off about something. <laughs> and um, and I remember telling myself, trying to just be the Stoic and tell myself, just it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't you know, this doesn't have to upset you. And I kept trying to tell myself this over and over and over again. It helped a little bit, but not really. It's like that emotion was still there. And I, I had to accept that I'm just going to have to feel this for a while. It's like, it's not a matter of let's just change a perspective and all goes away. That can happen if you're, you know, if you've, if again, if you're, let's say 99% virtuous, most of us, myself included, man, you, you got some shit that you messed up that you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to feel that and, and, and accept that. Um, so anyways, that's just, that's fresh in my mind with the. Yeah. But I do think we can get much, much better at, at it. I mean, it's awesome that you identified it in the, in the moment and like that thousands of times, but even the the thing of um unraveling that yeah unraveling the in terms of why and all sorts of stuff like around this particular issue you know it's it's based on some sort of impression it comes back to some sort of thing most likely i don't know what it is but most likely it's some sort of thing that is outside of your control that you want to be within your control. So it comes when you sit and you can unravel in it. You ha- we all have some sort of like these labels in our mind. They're made up construct of what is good, what is bad, all sorts of stuff. And then when you get, but you have to even like, I guess my point is, and, and maybe like these conversations are an example because we've, we've talked for two hours about it. And we haven't even like really scratched the surface on a how, because it can be a difficult thing to even just accept like, yes. And then you could say, okay, how teach me Epictetus, teach me the Buddha, but we don't even want to, we want to do a, yeah, but, but this is also required. This is also required. This is also required. Well, sometimes there's like different skills like to use the to come back to the you know goofy like um um strength training stuff you know there's like such a thing as squats and deadlifts and stuff and but then there's other exercises there's such a thing as like bench press and this and that you know and it's like you get ready to sit down and like do the bench press oh no wait though but there's also this over here well yeah that's another day <laughs> you know what i mean like we're doing this today and it's um it's difficult. Like the, 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 yeah, but is whatever true, but still the cultivation of the skill of training our desires and aversions like is also a, a thing. And it's not necessarily like pursuing virtue. It's not like sexy in that way, you know, to, unravel some sort of judgment or impression or some sort of like emotion and see what's like behind it. Um, but it is like necessary in a way to like avoid vice to, you know, basically like cultivate, you know, character and like have a, have a shot at, you know, choosing virtue and, and all of that in, in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it is, that is an element of virtue in, in the overall umbrella of virtue. So like when you're, when you're um, learning how to not desire certain things, that, that is, you are pursuing virtue while doing that at the same time. Um, but, you know, it's interesting you bring up the, uh, the example of strength training, because what's interesting about that is, yes, the squat is different from the deadlifts is different from the bench press but they're all deeply interconnected. Yeah. And 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 that's the point that I was trying to make is that there's this deep connection there 
It's like, we're talking about powerlifting here, squat, bench, deadlift. You can be the best squatter in the world. If you're not a good deadlifter, you score zero. Yeah. Because you have to get one in each lift. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, you can't just, if you're going to train powerlifting, you can't just train the deadlift. You can be a deadlifter and just train the deadlift. You can be someone who doesn't have desires and train not having desires, but you can't be a stoic and not have those. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, there's a a whole, I mean, we've already talked about like in terms of the philosophy of life of there's many different things and many different aspects of any philosophy of, of life. But this is one of those things that shows up like across wisdom traditions as a it does. big thing and we don't want to do it. I mean, it, yeah. it goes completely counter to what we want to do in terms of accepting things as they are that have happened, removing, you know, et cetera. All of this stuff is, um, yeah, I don't know. I just find it, uh, or maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. I don't know, but I find it really challenging and it comes up way more than I think many of us realize, you know, how often these things come up where we're desiring something outside Mm. of our control and we really don't even recognize it. And if you could recognize it, there's like so much to contemplate in that thing of like, oh, I'm desiring this. Why am I desiring this? Why is this causing me suffering because of, you know, X, Y, and Z? Why does this, ma- and it's a, it's a strange thing, but it's, um, I think in a way, like connected with knowing yourself. You know, there's some sort of like, how do you figure out what in the world is like is going on inside of you, you know, without um, recognizing and unraveling it in a way and and looking at it. Yeah. And I think too, that we, we got to say that, I know I mentioned this, this to you last time, but I don't think it was on the recording, but you know, you have a family, you have two kids and a wife. I live alone. So when, when we were talking about <laughs> this whole desire thing, like we're, we're coming at it from almost different perspectives. Like you, you, you're really in the weeds of having to do this stuff probably a lot more than I am, which I think is, is just something that's worth pointing out. Yeah. I, I would like to say that, uh, the whole thing that happened with me getting pissed off, the reason why I was so pissed off was because there were things that I should have done that I didn't do. And I knew better. I was negligent. If I had done everything I could do, dude, I I might've been a little bothered by it. Not so much. And, um, I'll, I'll tell you what it is afterwards, but I I can't really say it on, on, on the recording. Uh, it's not like a personal thing. It's, it's, it's a professional thing. So I can't really say anything, but yeah, but it's just, it was the case that for not a week, not a month, but for three months, there was a voice nagging at me to do something and I didn't do it Yeah, out of, out of naivety or stupidity or something. Definitely not virtue. Definitely not wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a voice nagging at me to do something and I kept ignoring it. And then all of a sudden, that little voice was right mm. and I got pissed the hell off because of it. And a huge part of that, I know... I know a huge part of that is that I ignored that voice for so long. And so this whole thing of don't seek to have events happen as you wish, that that wouldn't have done anything for me while Mm. I'm driving pissed off about this thing that just happened. Because I knew, I knew, yeah, don't let them happen as you wish. Yeah, but don't forget, Brandon, you were negligent for three freaking months. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And the um, with any of the stuff that the Stoics – or, you know, some of these people are talking about, if it's like a, you know, it's, it's a judgment. Essentially, there's some sort of judgment, something happened, then there's a judgment, you know, and this leads to our, our reaction to that initial event, you know? Like, I haven't seen him anything say where it's like you snap your fingers, like you unravel that judgment and if it takes you more than a day, you know, you're wrong. Like some of these things, like that is, in my mind, 
the work of all this and it connects with this like training our desires and aversions because we're going to identify and become aware of these judgments if we call them that that we have that are going to take some contemplation are going to take some exploration of why is that and you know un- unraveling it and looking at all sorts of different um things and like even the one um thing like that you you said in terms of another like marathon you said um and the person fails again well that's a perception that if you don't take first place that you failed at a marathon like we don't necessarily sure. have to look at it like that that is simply a subjective per uh perception and that's the thing in terms of it's so difficult when it's us to even like unravel that and be like, oh, oh, you know, all sorts of things that are subjective, that are not necessarily anything that we're giving some sort of meaning and all of that. And maybe we can brainstorm like some examples that we've experienced personally and and how a stoic or whatever it may be, how how one might unravel some of these things or um you know think about it because it's like it helps to see practical examples like even of the thing of like basic insults from someone you know when it's you it's very difficult to be you know the objective stoic you know the stoic response to that um and there's many other examples but i I do think it's it can be helpful for, you know, people that have been into this stuff for a really long time or people that are new to it to actually apply some of these things to, to real life examples, you know, let's definitely go through a few examples. I did want to ask you, do you think some of the stoic advice or even the Buddhist advice as well, probably including this quote, and this is where I have issue. Do you think sometimes it does come off as a snap your fingers approach? Or is that just me? I've, I've always felt like some of this advice is, it's like the Stoics say your, the perception, your perception is your reality, like something like that. It's not that clear, but it's basically, you know, if, if you think something is an insult, that's just your opinion and you can change your opinion. And a lot of times that comes off as, oh, well, we can all just change our opinions at any moment in time. And that hasn't been my experience. I don't, and I don't think that's what they meant, but I think that's yeah. what people perceive it as meaning. Yeah, that has not been my experience either. You, you think of even the emotion of anger. To unravel that, depending on, you know, what it is, maybe it's something that goes away very quickly. You know, someone cuts you off and you're a bit angry for three seconds and then it's done. But maybe that's someone, you know, like your boss or somebody, you know, and they cut you off and they knew it was you or, you know, there's some sort of like how naturally, um, we, uh, you know, like the, the virtue of justice, like fairness and equity. Well, we have a natural reaction when someone treats us unfairly. And especially if it's someone that knows us and knows who we are and in a way, some sort of like deliberately, you know, treats us in a way that particular anger, it may take some time to unravel that and see like what's going on and, and all of this type of stuff. That's not a three second and we're just done in in my experience, but you know, maybe it is for the, the sage or something like that. And that's you know. the point. Yeah. For the sage. Yeah. And it's like, wh- yeah. where are you on that journey from, well, you to sagehood? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like yeah. you're somewhere on zero <laughs> to a hundred. You're probably not at zero and you're probably not at a hundred. Yeah. I, I will. T- you, you mentioned there. Uh, so to get into some practical examples of this stuff and, and just how long it can take to get this train even rolling. When I was in university, and before that, I had this toxic thought pattern, let's call it, of whenever somebody did something to me that I didn't like, 
I assumed malevolence. I, I assume yeah. that they, they meant to hurt me or they meant to piss me off. I assume, basically I assumed the worst and I would watch my, my mother. She's, she's very compassionate, very empathetic person. And I watched her not, I watched her deal with that stuff much better than me. Insults and that, that or perceived, perceived insults at least. And so I kind of came to the uh, conclusion that I should probably figure this whole shit out. So I decided one day, mostly because I had a friend tell me, people don't always know when they're doing something wrong. This is one of the, some of the best advice I ever had from a friend of mine. He said, people don't always know when they're doing something wrong. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try and figure out the next time somebody does something to, that I perceive as malevolence, that they're doing something intentionally to hurt me. I'm going to consider until I come up with just one other option, not 20, not a hundred, not even the real option. Just let me just, let me just try and think of one other possible reason why they would say X to me versus what I currently feel and think. And it took the first time, it took me months Oh. This is something I remember. This is something I remember so vividly. It took me months. Like something happened, and I was like, "Okay, this is what I'm going to use." Wrote it down. Pissed off about it. Months. It took me months to finally realize. Oh shit! I can actually see how they said that, and they didn't really mean it how I thought. Did it matter if it was true? No, it didn't. Yeah, because for the first time, <laughs> I actually realized. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe what I'm feeling, maybe that's how they actually meant it. Maybe not. Maybe there's another option. Maybe there's several other options. Yeah. And, and I, and I got quicker with it over the years and I still, I still fall victim to this stuff, but I'll never forget that the first time I actually <laughs> had that revelation, like um, months, months, not, not like a couple hours, not a couple seconds, months. That's yeah. a long time to be thinking and feeling pissed off about something. And you know what I think is interesting is if I came to you, it's like, hey, I need to chat, got an issue, and I brought up the same issue, you would be able to come without much cognitive energy, I think, eight or nine different potential, you know, reasons why this might have happened. And it would just be so easy. But this yeah. question of what else... To whatever it may be, you know, ask some sort of thing. You're going to come with, come up with something. What else? What else? You know, force yourself to, to come up with four or five different things. And that's like, you might say the discipline of perception or, you know, seeing things from different perspectives, you know, you, you shift a bit, look at it close up from above and, you know, work your way around it. Um, Many things, and maybe that could be a topic for future episodes of of something on the discipline of perception, and we can really maybe do a deep dive into what some of these wisdom traditions suggest in the way of how do we test our perceptions, how do we work with our judgments, how do we control our emotions to get into the 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 work to me like that is the work if the project is say like tranquility or freedom or peace or whatever it is that you would want to call that come up in so many of these things you know how do you how do you do it in the way of like calming the waters when uh you know they get a bit rocked by by the world i i think that that's it should give us a bit of humility too yeah. In that, you know, you see, you see a friend of yours is pissed off about something and you try and give them some advice and they're just not, they don't understand. They're not taking it. And you're like, no, 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 it's so simple. It's so simple. Like they <laughs> yeah. didn't mean, but, but this is really important because, oh man, I had a, I had a professor that said this in university and it always stuck with me. She said, things are always complicated until you know how to do them. Yeah. And that stuck with me because, you know, you'd see a, you get an engineering problem and you'd be like, what the hell is going on here? 
Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that symbol is. I don't know what these numbers mean. And it's like, you, you can't even fathom being able to solve that until you know how, until someone teaches you how, until you think it through and you figure it out. And then it's easy. And, and that's sort of in, in many ways, that's what this is. And I'm not saying again that the, you know, once you figure one thing, you have to go through like 20 problems, a hundred problems, a million problems. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, you're prepared for anything. Right. But it is certainly the case that, um, yeah, I mean, Again, practice makes perfect, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. And I'm going to say say one more thing just so I don't uh, forget it for a future episode connected to this. I've been reading this book, Thinking 101, for an upcoming episode on In Search of Wisdom. And, um, and the author says that you can't necessarily find the cause of a why question. Now... If you think from that engineering problem, like here's the state, like here's the issue, you know, I'm assuming you're solving the way forward. How do we fix it and keep this project moving forward instead of this long investigation of like why this happened? Now, maybe there's people that do that, um, but that is an extremely complex type of thing of like, why did this happen? The root cause of something, because everything's interconnected from this disciplinary perception. It could be seven or eight, nine different type of things. Sometimes the wisest response is, okay, now what? How do we move forward? Like think about solving it the way forward, but we can spend a lifetime doing, I think, like the opposite of what Epictetus is talking about. Like don't seek events to happen as you wish. We can spend literally, it seems like, an eternity trying to figure out the why this particular thing happened. You know, and it's like this rumination type of thing that that obviously we all know and is a tendency sometimes of maybe, and I connect that with maybe having a short memory in, in a way. It's like, now what? You know, what's the next step that we can take? <laughs> 